Hello everyone, it's September 13th, 2022. This week we're just doing a quick recap of where Artemis 1 stands, obviously on a launch pad or maybe on the crawler, or maybe it'll be in the VAB. But either way, no launch as of yet. So let's talk about what to expect in the coming weeks, let's hope not months, and lift off. Hey, we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 376 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. Apparently, Curiosity has a rock stuck in its treads, or grousers, rather, which is a new term that we just discussed, mm. uh, which is what you call a tread. That <laughs> right, is so what's to... the difference between a... Yeah, what's the difference between a grouser and a tread? Well, I think that a tread is used for more of a hard surface, and a, and a grouser is used for loose types of surfaces like sand. So, because when you think about tread... There's uh, there's like different types of tread for different types of conditions, so I'm guessing that, that that's all it is. So like a, a grouser is meant to sort of like paddle against a medium, but a tread yeah. just kind of you know maintains traction through static friction. Mm. Let's say. Yeah, 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 no, no, that's the the paddle analogy is really good. Mm. It looks like a paddle wheel on like a steamboat, where whereas like a tread has like negative cuts in mm -hmm. it to allow yeah. for you know water or whatever, um, or you know. Tread could also be almost, I guess if it's totally a smooth tire, it doesn't have treads, but yeah. So tread, a tread is a cut, a rouser is a, sticks out. So apparently there's a flat looking rock, like a flat rock stuck between two of them. That's probably not going to impact the rover at all, but it's interesting. There's a good photo of it and you see, you know, just the extent of the damage to the wheels in general that's just been taking place. So, mm. so he here's what I was looking at is, um, a, rock formation it's less than the size of a penny but it, it looks like a like a flower with really skinny petals or or maybe some coral yeah like one of those fingery kind of corals yeah found on mars and um you know not evidence of alien life um it's a sedimentary rock that you know the there was water flowing past and deposited minerals and as the water evaporated you kind of get this this formation so it looks to me almost like crystalline like if the as the water is evaporating and all these dissolved solids are precipitating out it, it looks like they built this shape but it doesn't look like a particularly crystalline shape so i wonder if instead there was um this was formed in like a mold like a sand mold where there was this holes shaped like this in the dirt uh, or maybe one hole, and then as the water flow changed, it dug another hole, something like that. That is cool. Like if, like if I had to guess, I would say that it was some kind of like melting rock that just you know solidified. But yeah, it does. It does look like that, doesn't it? Uh -huh. Like liquid metal instead of like an anthill, and then you like you take it out and you clean it up. It looks kind of like that. If you've ever seen an anthill from the inside out. Yeah, yeah, I love those. Very, very pretty. But yeah, cool news from Mars. <laughs> yeah, lots, lots of rocks. Lots, lots of rocks <laughs> zero aliens so far. We'll keep looking. <laughs> Let's talk about Artemis 1 one more time. Not, not, I'm sure not one last time, but uh, still so far scrubbed. And the last scrub was three hours before its launch window on the 3rd. So that was, uh, what, the last time for how long? Uh, undetermined. But um, last, I think it was last week we talked about the two upcoming period, uh, uh, launch opportunity periods, uh, the period 26 and period 27. It turns out they're they're both still on the books. So it could be... Uh, as early as September 23rd, which would be right in the middle of period 26. 
but that that is yet to be determined which which period they're going to get into. And, and the the decision is is driven basically by the FTS system again. Uh, but okay, let's let's talk about uh, what's going on. So they're they're not going to roll back to the VAB unless they have to. And so they've already started work replacing the quick disconnect seal. And uh, Spaceflight News had some measurements for. Uh, both of the seals that we've seen issues for, which is a great way to help visualize what's going on here. So the quick disconnect uh, seal, this is the loading umbilical for the liquid hydrogen. It's an eight inch seal. Th this is, this is a, this is no O-ring, right? Like this is a big, well, I say this is no O-ring, even though the, the sections on the solid rocket boosters have even bigger O-rings, but like this is not like, you know, a, a little rubber washer or something. This is an eight inch seal. Like I said, they already started working on it. Um, and when they pulled it out, they already have identified a notch on that seal, um, which appears to be the leak cause. Um, they're still working on, you know, getting really specific about what the cause of the leak was, but then also what the root cause that caused the, the damage to the seal. While they're doing that, they're also going to go ahead and replace the, uh, the bleed line seal. This is pulling, uh, hydrogen away from the engines while they're cooling down. Um, and that is a four inch seal, which makes a lot of sense, right? You've got a giant eight inch umbilical for loading fuel into the vehicle, uh, or, you know, loading one of the two propellants into the vehicle. Um, and then you've got a little bit of hydrogen trickling through the engines, relatively little, uh, and it's getting pulled away. And at that point, it's going to be warmer, maybe even gaseous. I, I, I still am not sure about that, but that's such a small amount that you need a smaller, a smaller diameter pipe basically to, to pull it away. But it's not that much smaller. I mean, four inches in diameter, it's half in, in area. You know, you, you start going down really quickly. It's the cube square law, the, the cube pi square law. <laughs> but, um, you know, this is, this is, uh, uh, smaller, but it, it's not quite as small as I might have expected. I think because of the higher temperatures and maybe even a phase change. Um, but the, the bleed line seal wasn't, um, wasn't leaking to the point where it was violating launch criteria, but I, I think it seems very prudent. You've got downtime. Let's go replace it anyway. Now, while they're doing this work, they're worried about rain, which, you know, it's the rainy season, uh, in Florida and you basically get rain every afternoon. Uh, David, you can attest to that, right? It's always raining. So I don't know. I don't know what the rainy season <laughs> yeah, is. <laughs> there's no real rain. It's the rainy season and the very rainy season. Yeah, it's called January through December, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the rainy season and then the rain with wind season. Mm -hmm. So what they've done is they've actually installed an enclosure around the tail service mast, um, to sort of protect it. They also had to deal with the Labor Day weekend, um, keeping technicians away. Um, and then, they're also not going to be able to work on it every single day. They're going to have to take breaks, um, just due to the weather, um, you know, just for safety reasons. I think, uh, there's lightning expected in the next month or whatever. So all that to say, they're doing this work out on the pad and they're doing it out on the pad instead of rolling back to the VAB, um, partially so that they can, uh, get ready for a launch attempt quickly, but also so that they have access to the liquid hydrogen supply 
Um, and they're planning on doing a complete tanking operation. Um, they're not going to do a wet dress rehearsal. It seems a little silly not to do a wet dress rehearsal because like you haven't done a complete one yet. You've had all these issues, but also just because they're tanking doesn't mean that it's trivial to do a WDR, right? There's all this extra work that comes with that. So the decisions they made is not to do it. So, I mean, back to FTS, like we're going to be talking about it forever and ever. Um, they've submitted their waiver package. Um, the, the 25 day waiver expired, uh, September 6th. They have not yet gotten the extension. Um, if the range says no, uh, the Eastern range says no, they, they may still wind up rolling back to the VAB. And there's one quote in the NASA spaceflight article, um, which was written by Chris Gebhardt that I, I gotta read this quote because it's right up our alley, right? Uh, Chris said, this requirement from the range has been known by NASA for the entire decade plus development of SLS, but the agency chose to design the rocket in a way that the FTS can only be accessed in the VAB, thus necessitating a rollback. So I, I think, uh, Chris is doing the exact same line of thinking that we're doing, which is like, what's going on? Like, why are you, why are you doing this? But you know, that's what you get for camels. Camels? Yeah, horses designed by committee. Ah. So the <laughs> waiver, how much longer are they trying to get? Because I, th- I think, it, like, isn't it something quite a bit longer, like 40 days? Yeah, they're, they're based, I don't know if it's exactly 40 days, but it's basically a double yeah. of the original, which was 25, or was 20 days. And then they got another waiver up to 25. And so now they're, like, trying to double that. Well, good luck. I got a kind of random question. Um, I was wondering, since we're talking about FTSs, on an uncrewed flight like this, if they actually had to fire or like trigger the FTS, would they fire the the abort tower? Yeah. Almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Just because there aren't humans on board, the humans are the, are the most valuable cargo, but there's still a lot of valuable cargo on there. There's a lot of valuable data on board as well. I'd never thought of it. Like I figured the data might be the reason they do it. I never thought of it in terms of just getting that cargo back as well. Yeah. (laughs) Which, which makes sense. I mean, they've, (laughs) they've got three like instrumented mannequins and a bunch of other things. Yeah, I think it's Colin the chat says uh that they they give it a 50-50 chance of whether they've even thought about activating the launch escape system. <laughs> mm. and, and Deathkin says I'm pretty sure the abort tower isn't armed for Artemis 1. So it's mm. it's installed just for like aerodynamics. Oh, Deathkin says that was said on a webcast that it's not armed, might be difficult to source. Mm. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. That goes totally contrary to my ex- my expectations. Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't have a functioning launch escape system. I mean, maybe for certification reasons, like you know, all the all the ground crew safety. Uh, Cy Kyle points out an off nominal episode uh, where they made a big deal about how there's flight avionics hardware on the Artemis 1 Orion that they will need to transfer to the Artemis 2 Orion. That's interesting. Uh, are they are they positive or negative about that requirement? Cuz like reuse is great, but are they are they being critical about, you know, <laughs> flying shit that you need back for the next one? Yeah. I can I can see both sides of the argument. Cy Kyle says they were negative. So, okay. <laughs> well, we'll have to see if we can track down that that episode for the show notes. Well, thank you. This was just something I was always kind of wondering and I hadn't heard it ever stated or written somewhere before so i was just just wondering yeah no it's a good question yeah, it's good i hadn't even thought about it so right we uh we kind of mentioned that's mentioned this at the top um the next launch attempt 
Um, well, first off, um, even before we talk about the schedule, uh, NASA said that they're actually altering their propellant loading process. Um, they're going to be reducing uh, pressure and flow changes by changing their loading profile, um, which means, you know, the, the fast fill is not going to be quite as fast, I would assume. Uh, but they said that when they kind of temper these these variables back, it results in uh, in better leak management. You know, I would rather have leak avoidance mm-hmm. than leak management, but you know, things things are going to leak. It's it's not mm-hmm. a, a game. It's not a game killer. So, like I said, the next two periods, period twenty six and twenty seven, are both still viable. Uh, the choice is going to come down to whether or not they can get this FTS waiver. Um, period 26 runs from September 20th to October 4th. Period 27 runs from October 17th to October 31st. A Halloween launch is my favorite, but I'm not going to argue with an earlier one. If they're able to launch in period 26, uh, they've picked out two potential launch dates, September 23rd and September 27th. They are not starting at the beginning of the period, and I don't know if they're if they've got a third launch attempt planned at the end of the period either. Um, they've picked these two dates to avoid the DART impact, which is coming up, uh, which we're all very excited about and we will mention again uh, later on the show. Um, so they're trying to avoid uh, the DART impact. They're also trying to avoid uh, the Crew-5 launch. Um, Crew-5 eats up Eastern Range attention, so you don't want to... Um, conflict yourself with that. And then the DART impact is going to eat up uh, DSN time, deep space network time. And so th- those are good things to to plan around. Uh, they haven't announced any launch uh, launch days in period 27. We'll see what happens. It, there's a potential of not going back to the VAB. Like if they, if they do period 27, uh, I'm fairly confident that they're going to have to go back to the VAB. There's no way they're going to get a launch waiver <laughs> that's that long. But, you know, potentially they could stay out on the pad and uh, launch as is, which seems pretty handy. And let's do three short and sweets, uh, very short and sweet this week. So what's the first one, Dennis? First up, Axiom selected for Artemis 3 spacesuits. NASA recently announced that it has selected the provider of the lunar spacesuits for the Artemis 3 mission, which will be the first in the program to land humans on the moon. Earlier this year, NASA selected Axiom and a team led by Collins Aerospace to develop and build spacesuits for both orbital and lunar surface activities, with both teams competing for up to $3.5 billion through 2034 via a series of task orders. The task order for the Artemis 3 suits is $228.5 million, and Axiom will retain ownership of the suits, providing them as a service to the space agency. And then next up, Astrobotic wins bid for Maston Assets. Astrobotic Technologies submitted the winning bid of $4.5 million for acquisition of Maston Space Systems Assets. Other bidders included Intuitive Machines at $2.725 million and Impulse Space at $750,000 for certain testing equipment. Both companies refused to raise their bids, leaving Astrobotic the winner. Astrobotic has also provided Maston with a $1.4 million debtor-in-possession loan, allowing Maston to rehire some furloughed workers and continue to function as it works through bankruptcy. And finally, Capstone enters safe mode. Near the end of a planned trajectory correction maneuver on Thursday the 8th, Capstone entered safe mode. Since then, NASA has made contact with the moonbound vehicle and now have data on the vehicle state, though DSN traffic appears to show multiple contact attempts were required. 
So moving on to this weekend's pace flight history. So we only have uh, three winners. We have uh, Ryan Ringer, Chris, or Steigerfield, and then we have Deathkin coming in at the very last second. Um, <laughs> and that's it. And we had two other people who guessed, but incorrectly. So th- apparently this was a really hard clue. I didn't think it was at all. I thought it was really uh, straightforward. And the clue was sponsored in part by ad revenue. So what the event was, was um, the announcement of the Google Lunar X Prize, which I thought, which I think is something that everyone is aware of. And this was organized by the X Prize Foundation. So uh, we've talked about it a lot on the show because it really only came to an end at the end of 2018. And so that's like at least half the lifetime of this show. And we were all, you know, wondering who was going to make it. And some some teams came very close, but uh, ultimately none did. I hope that's not a spoiler. I think we all know that. Um, so, <laughs> right. so the X prize foundation real quick is, you know, they, I, they started with, I believe the Ansari X prize. So that's also space related and that's kind of how it got its start. And it was, um, kind of inspired by the, what's his name? The French guy from like a hundred years ago who sponsored the transatlantic flight of Lindbergh. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, the Ortigue uh-huh. prize. I think it was, that's kind of where this all comes from. Uh, and then they created the X prize foundation. Uh, and this particular event, uh, the lunar X prize was sponsored by Google. So that's where the clue comes in sponsored in part by ad revenue. Get it. Yeah. All right. So, um, uh, the requirements are pretty simple, really. Um, how do you win, this X Prize, uh, you have to be privately funded, and you have to land a robot on the moon and travel more than 500 meters and transmit back high-resolution images or videos, or and or videos. Uh, so pretty straightforward. And they call the transmissions mooncasts, which I don't remember ever talking about that. We just said trans- <laughs> transmissions, but I guess they wanted to make it kind of cute. You have to have a minimum of two mooncasts. The first one details the arrival on the lunar surface. So I guess that's just, you know, getting like the data back that proves that you've landed on the moon. Um, that's how you would know. And the second one transmits, uh, the, uh, the images and videos from the lunar surface. Although I guess if you were doing that, you would know that you would land it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, um, stands to reason. Yeah. Yeah, but both of these data sets have to equal roughly one gigabyte, one gigabyte in total. Uh, so that's the other caveat there. But other than that, that's it. And the total, the the prize in total or the amount of money in total was like $30 million, but that's not all going to one winner. So the way it breaks down is you have $20 million of that, and that goes to the first team to accomplish the above stated requirements. And then $5 million would go to the second team to do so. And then there was another $5 million, which is kind of broken down into additional prizes or like anything that exceeds the baseline requirements. So like if you were to travel like over, I believe, 10000 meters i think so it was like 10 i think it was 10 kilometers then you would get an additional one or two million dollars or whatever so this was in 2007 i don't know if i said that actually i think i might have skipped that part so yeah this was in 2007 when the x prize was announced the deadline for registration was at the end of 2010 and at that point 32 teams had registered uh, and the original launch deadline, believe it or not, was the end of 2012. So this is like really ambitious. So it was announced in 2007 and you had five years to build a team, conceive of a whole lunar lander, find a launch provider, yeah. launch to the moon and all that. Um, and if you did that, you would get $20 million. And if you couldn't do it until the end of 2014, then you still got $15 million. So there was kind of that second option there. Um, now, no one met this deadline, needless to say. So they extended it. And I think that there was actually probably more than I'm going to list. There were probably more smaller extensions as far as acquiring a launch provider and then having the, you know, the actual launch date. Um, but the big one was a launch contract deadline by the end of 2016 and the launch date by the end of 2017. Um, and 
uh, I believe also maybe the end of 2018. I think there was actually one last extension. Uh, but I think that you could still be on the moon just so long as you launch by the end of 2017. And then you could complete the task at some point into 2018. So you just had to be launched by, you know, December 31st of 2017. I think that was uh, how that breaks down. That, that's a good enough limitation, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Like your, your launch date is such a major event. Yeah. So there were 32 teams that registered and only five of them actually made that deadline. So we're going to talk about them, kind of focus on them for a minute. Um, and uh, the first one is uh, Space IL. And this is the one that we have most, well, most recently talked about as far as their attempt to make it to the moon because they did make an attempt. It was not part of the X Prize because they came in too late. Um, but this is definitely like one of the front runners. And they were going to launch aboard a Falcon Heavy. So they did secure that launch contract. Mm. The second one was Moon Express aboard an Electron. And what's interesting is that when they got this contract in 2017, which doesn't seem that long ago, at that point, Rocket Lab had never done a test flight or anything. Um, I thought that by 2017 they were launching, but because it, it seems like they've been around for a while now, but uh, <laughs> maybe that didn't happen until 2018, perhaps. But in 2017, they had never launched anything to orbit, and they hadn't even done a test launch. So they were kind of banking on Electron to come through, um, or Rocket Lab, rather, but they did. But unfortunately, Moon Express had some other problems. It looks like their first launch was uh, must have been later. Right, yeah, no, yeah, no. Its first one was a failure, and it's, it's it was May 25th. Which makes sense, because the launch contract deadline was by the end of 2016. So at that point, they hadn't ever you know, done a mm. test launch. By 2017, they had. Um, Synergy Moon was the third team, and they were going to launch aboard a Neptune 8, which uh, is a launch vehicle I've not heard of. But the launch provider... Uh, is a company called Interorbital Systems, and they're s still around. I don't know if we've ever mentioned them in the show. I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so because I I don't think I've ever heard of a Neptune Eight either, which is like well, it's never surprises me that two of us. It's never launched. They have been around for about two decades now. They haven't put anything into orbit, uh, and I don't know if they even have a launch vehicle of any type. Uh, yeah, that didn't work out. But Synergy Moon uh, had a two-rover concept, and I'll get into a couple other concepts a little bit later. But basically, they had one rover to send back the imagery. Then they had another one to examine the mineral content in lunar rocks and you know that kind of thing. So they kind of had a science rover and then a send back images and you know like win the prize rover. So that was kind of a good strategy. Then we have Team Indus, and that was going to launch aboard a PSLV, and they had a lander rover concept. They had a 600-kilogram lander with a 6-kilogram rover, so the rover, quite small. And the 600-kilogram lander, as you imagine, um, quite heavy, but maybe also necessary because um, this didn't happen initially, but I think maybe about like a year into uh, the X Prize registration, another team, the final one we have here, which is called Hakuto, they actually ended up hitching a ride with Team Indus, or they were going to hitch a ride with Team Indus. And Hakuto has a interesting two-rover concept where they have like one four-wheel rover and then a two-wheel rover, and the four-wheel rover carries the two-wheel rover in tow. So it, it, it's kind of like somebody pulling a little like wagon behind them, which is kind of cute. Um, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny little it's it, it seems to me to be a very japanese concept so i think it just totally works <laughs> like they have a smaller rover that they carry and then they can lower that smaller rover into little craters and holes and do some exploring and that rover or at least the whole thing i believe in total was four kilograms so not a lot so we're talking about very very small rovers here but uh yeah they teamed up with team indus 
uh, because they could not secure a launch contract on their own. And they were originally planning on going with Astrobotic um, aboard their Peregrine lander, but uh, they couldn't get a launch contract either. That's how Astrobotic kind of got bumped out. But they were kind of a hopeful for a while there, and they still are because, you know, they're still going and they're buying up other companies <laughs> they are in bankruptcy. So they're doing all right. So yeah, those were the final five that actually made it. Um, and then a list of some other contributors uh, who weren't actually in competition. So um, we have also SpaceX, which offered a 10% discount for anyone who launched aboard a Falcon 9. And I guess that does not include a Falcon Heavy, which is uh, what Space IL uh, wanted to do. And then also SETI, the organization, made um, its Allen Telescope Array available for downlink of mooncasts and I believe uplink as well. I don't know how that works. They have these big arrays. I guess they can transmit as well. Okay, so post-deadline, right? So at this point, um, nobody wins the X Prize. Uh, no one can make the launch date in time. But there are many benefits to the Google Lunar X Prize. And I think that that's important to point out. Um, it wasn't successful but it still was or rather no one won the grand prize but in some sense it was kind of successful so some things that happened since then um first of all we have space il which um just a couple years ago launched their bearsheet lander and mm. didn't quite make it to the lunar surface so i was trying to recall exactly what went wrong but basically i think well they they made it well to they the made surface. it okay <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Well, they didn't make it to the surface and stay in one piece when they did it, perhaps. They had a pretty hard landing. So uh, they had an engine cut off during descent. And I believe they were in a communications blackout for some reason. There was kind of a communication problem. And so they couldn't tell it to restart the engine um, before it was too late. And at the time that they managed to get the restart going, it was traveling something like 500 meters per second or something, which is way too fast. And it, you know, mm. hit the surface and uh, did not survive. But they came pretty close. I believe, you know, they're, I mean, they're still trying to, I think later on in a couple of years, yeah, 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 they're doing Bear Sheet 2. I, yeah, I, they got a Bear Sheet 2. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember when, but Bear Sheet 2 is coming up, so. Yeah, I'm seeing 2024. Yeah, 2024. Cause... Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're still going. Uh, and then we have uh, Hakuto, who this time, uh, instead of teaming with Team Indus, uh, have decided to team with an organization called iSpace. And I'm not familiar with iSpace. I actually thought this was a Chinese company, but it's not. This is a Japanese company. But I think there's a similar one in China, right? Isn't it called like iSpace or something like well, that? There's, or there's like land, land space and like there's a bunch of blank spaces. I think that there's an i something in China. I don't remember what. Yes. Yeah, so iSpace, they're planning a lander for the fourth quarter of this year and that will be delivered uh, via a Falcon 9. And then uh, the idea is in a couple of years in 2024, they actually want to do a lander slash rover. So they're just going to do both then. So, you know, like 10 years too late, but uh, they will or hopefully make it. And then uh, lastly, um, we have Astrobotic, which we just talked about. Um, they actually did win some milestone prizes. So this is basically if you can't actually win the main prize, you can still demonstrate the technology to do the things that they require. So this is kind of like if you don't have a ride to get to the moon, you can still kind of do a little lunar excursion and and possess equipment to transmit back to Earth, even though you're already on Earth. But if you meet the requirements, then you can actually still win some prize money. So they got $250,000 for an imaging camera that could operate in a vacuum, compress and transmit high-depth video, and take imagery on the lunar surface. So it met those criteria. So they got the quarter of a million dollars. Hmm. Then they got half a million dollars for the Andy rover, which is uh, a rover which was able to demonstrate the ability to cover 500 meters of simulated lunar terrain. So I guess they – I don't know if they actually – 
simulated lunar terrain and then just had to kind of rope around perhaps hmm. but they were able to demonstrate that so they got half a million dollars and but they are no longer eligible for the X prize um, or they wouldn't be I guess you should say because they are now contracted with NASA for the Peregrine Lander so the Peregrine Lander um, obviously would not be something that would be eligible like even if the price were still going because uh, you have NASA's help there finally uh, shoot for the moon right so basically what are the some other things uh, that have had a, a somewhat lasting effect. Um, we have over $300 million that was invested in the XPRIZE teams. There were 260 new jobs created by the finalist team. So that's actually interesting that there were full-on jobs because I think of these teams as being teams like, I don't know, like you don't, like you're not actually paid to do it. Of course, you have to find money yeah. somewhere, but uh, but there were actual jobs created as a result of the Google Learner XPRIZE. Uh, pretty crazy. And then as a result of this competition, uh, we had the first private space companies that were created in India, Malaysia, Israel, and Hungary. So that's also another big plus. And really, the level of international cooperation was rather astounding. There were some teams that had, I think, members from like 20 different countries. Like they were, it was just yeah. people from all over the world on these teams collaborating with each other. Really impressive, actually. And yeah, and there were a lot of teams that teamed up. So, you know, you start off with like, 32 teams and then they kind of got whittled down because some didn't make the deadline but also some of them you know just kind of like joined together and so you'd have these international teams that were kind of joining forces and so you have a team that's kind of spread out like over half the globe perhaps that's not always the best idea as far as uh, getting work done but um uh, still pretty cool <laughs> um and then lastly there were some advances in 3d printing and miniaturization of the various components necessary because if you're sending a privately funded rover to the moon it's going to need to be small so kind of not sad that, you know, no one made it because there was some definite progress made, but no one has been able to fulfill that goal um, at any time. Because, uh, right, has there been a private company, like fully private, that has made it to the moon yet? I don't think so, right? Put a rover no. down? No. So, no. yeah, still goes as of 2022 when the original deadline was, what What, what, what did I say, 2012? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, it just goes to show how hard space is. Yeah. I mean, there's nations with fairly mature programs that have never landed something softly on the moon. So Yeah, that's true. Let alone a private company. Yeah, and that's a good thing to point out. Like, think about how close some of these companies came. And just like you said, there are whole nations that haven't done it. So, like, it does kind of fulfill the lofty goals of the X Prize in general, right? Because the X Prize, there's many different X Prizes out there. I don't know them all, but there's a whole bunch. There's some that have to do with like medical technology and so forth. And it needs to be something that like shouldn't almost be possible. So you have to aim really high. And and that's what the milestones are really there for. They're not like consolation prizes. Mm -hmm. It's a guarantee. It's like a little bit of a, it's not a guarantee, but it it's a way for companies to offset their risk. Like, yeah, we might not get there first. We might not get there at all, but if we can hit these milestones first, then we do get to recoup a little bit of our, you know, our outlay, our expenditures. And so like the, the X prize does really have a lofty, a lofty objective in mind. Yeah. So that is the, I guess, long, well, not long, but a brief summary of the uh, roughly one decade long history of the Google Lunar X prize. Uh, not a complete success, but not a complete failure either. Thank you so much, David. Yeah. X prize is like a little, like the the lunar X Prize and the and the orbital X Prize, like they're a little depressing, but like they're also kind of exciting. Like mm -hmm. you said, you know, you you shoot for the moon, and sometimes you, you know, don't land in the stars, but it, at least you were shooting for the moon to begin with. All right, so next week is the twentieth to the twenty sixth of September. Dennis, do you have a clue for us? I do. Next week in nineteen eighty three, second birthday. Okay. 
Well, if <laughs> if you have a guess. <laughs> That's a harder clue than mine, so well, we'll see how it goes. Ad supported. I'm sure you'll get more answers. Ad supported second birthday. Feel free to boo me next week. <laughs> All right. If you have a guess as to what this clue is in reference to, uh, send us your guess. Best way to do that is with a tweet. Use the hashtag ThisWeekSF. And good luck, everybody. Good luck. Let's move right along then to upcoming Spaceflight events. We got five of those. And uh, thank you to Launch Library 2, which is where we start our research each week. First up, on September 14th, we've got a Falcon 9 taking another Starlink. This is Group 4-34. Uh, it'll be a Cape launch. And um, this will be a batch of 54 uh, satellites in particular. And, uh, yeah, so again, that's September 14th with the uh, launch... Uh, aiming to take place at 0210 UTC. After that, on the same day, September 14th, we have an electron, and this is uh, the owl spreads its wings. So we talked about this one last week, uh, the the Strix satellites, um, synthetic aperture radar satellites, and they're part of a constellation. So uh, this is just a second launch for that um, aboard an electron. The launch window for that is 2030 UTC to 2045 UTC. Not all, so, but yeah, that's like a was that a 15 minute uh, launch window relatively tight launch window uh, launching from Onanui station off the Mahia Peninsula in New Zealand from launch complex 1B so check it out and it's going to a sun synchronous orbit it looks like by the way after that we've got another Starlink this is Starlink group 435 launch library 2 lists it as 52 satellites yet again it's it's weird that we're so high up in the numbers for group four, <laughs> All, <laughs> like already. Uh, so that's launching on a Falcon 9 Block 5 on Monday, September 19th at 2400 hours UTC. No, it's not 2400 hours UTC. It's the 19th, but we don't know what time mm -hmm. it is. Uh, it, we're going off of a, a space launch or a, a space flight now citation that, you know, space flight now dot uh, com slash launch schedule doesn't cite their sources they just like blitz and get it all up so fast like you can't argue but mm -hmm. they've got a date but not a time um, and they only recently added the date changing it from a, a september net so it's probably going to happen on the 19th. We just don't know what time. And then also on the 19th, and I do know what time, we've got a <laughs> mission that you've heard us talk about before because uh, it was delayed. But this will be uh, super exciting. A maiden launch of uh, ABL Space Systems' RS-11 launch vehicle. It's actually going to carry two satellites for, for L2 Aerospace. So it's going to have uh, some real stuff on board. And uh, yeah, so like I said, that's uh, September 19th with a window from 2200 UTC to 0130 UTC the next day, technically. Um, and so, yeah, and this will be launching at uh, Launchpad 3C out of the... Uh, Pacific Spaceport Complex in Alaska. And then finally, on September 21st, we have the launch of a Soyuz 2.1A, and that is launching Soyuz MS-22 to the International Space Station. So this is carrying three people, uh, two cosmonauts and one astronaut. We have Sergei Prokopiev, Dmitry Petalin, and uh, Francisco or Frank Rubio. And that will be launching from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan, and the launch time is at 1354 UTC. And that's not being covered on NASA TV, which sounds a little uh, Ukrainian conflicty to me. Um, and then Probably. Progressive. <laughs> and, and then a heads up next week is going to be the DART impact. And we're going to be very excited for that. But it's not within this week. 
uh, or th this upcoming week. Um, so these have been your upcoming spaceflight events. And so with that, let's deal with the show. And we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to Chris, a.k.a. Sty Garfield, Colin, Deathkin, Sy Kyle, Mike, Chavi, Kenton, Vedant, and Leon Running Man for joining our recording session today and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit theorbitalmechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com and be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. Real quick, FYI, everything in the store is actually in stock i just need to go and change the quantity numbers uh but they're there if you visit and they're out of stock send me an email remind me to do it i've got a bad memory but they're there thank you you can talk about the show with other listeners on twitter and reddit we're orbital podcasts on both and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at the orbitalmechanics.com all right that's it so we will see you all next week on orbit until then later goodbye everybody see you